Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. So let's get this on the table right from the beginning. We are not playing pretend today. Easter is not a Christian masquerade party where we all deck out in costumes and tell one another fantastical, sentimental stories as an exercise in social custom or therapeutic play. We are here because we confess, along with the Gospel of Mark this morning, along with millions of Christians from every nation of the earth, Christians over the past 2,000 years, that on this first day of the week, when Mary and her friends went to that tomb in the garden expecting to find Jesus dead, that they found that tomb empty. We confess along with the apostles and the Nicene Creed, alongside millions of martyred and joyful Christians, and alongside that blazing angel at the tomb that Jesus of Nazareth was crucified, but he has been raised. Jesus is not there in that tomb of death and decay. Jesus is alive. Amen. 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 This moment is at the heart of how the rest of the scripture following these gospels accounts describes God for us. Particularly in the epistles, God is the one who raised Jesus from the dead. The way Robert Jensen puts it is God is the one who first raising Israel out of Egypt, then raised Jesus from the dead. Alleluia, Christ is risen. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices early in the morning to that tomb. What else do you do when you have a dead body? You just try to do something to keep the stench away. Where in your life today are you just having to bring, spin, bring spices to the tomb? Where are you just doing the best you can to minimize death's stench? Did you notice that for these women, their biggest question was, who is going to roll the stone away? Did you hear this uh, abrupt ending? How after, after coming and fleeing, after coming to the tomb and encountering the angel, they left afraid. There was terror. The, the poet Julia Esquivel uses this beautiful line about how we are threatened with resurrection. You know, if you were trying to concoct a story that you knew was false, in order to convince 
first century Jews and Romans that Jesus rose from the dead when he really didn't. Good mercy, you have done a terrible, terrible job. The ones who are supposedly the leaders, all these male disciples, they're the ones who are hiding and afraid. They won't even show up. They're the ones who wouldn't even come. And then if you're in the first century and you're actually trying to tell a story that's convincing, you don't place women as your prime witnesses. You only do that if it's actually true. But can we say here, thank God for women preachers. These women were able to go where the men were unwilling to go. They were able to do what the men were unwilling to do. And they proclaim to us resurrection. Something monumental happened to these disciples, though. These ones who fled, and after the resurrection, you find Jesus having to go and find them in these locked rooms. They're keeping the window shades pulled and their voices low. They're terrified. But something transformed them so that they charged out of those locked rooms and they gave their life, most of them as martyrs, and they would not, to their dying breath, deny this truth, that Jesus was dead and God raised Jesus from the death. And they knew that this means that Jesus is Lord over the world. They knew that this meant that everything now had changed, even though they didn't know yet what exactly that meant. Paul would never let us say that the resurrection is only a minor detail that we could take or leave. We heard read from Corinthians this morning that Christ, that he was going to give to us what is of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that Jesus was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that Jesus appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then Jesus appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters, most of whom, he says, are still alive. As if, Paul says, if you don't believe me, go ask them. We couldn't possibly misunderstand that Paul insists Jesus' resurrection, anything other than that it actually happened. Go talk to the people who saw it. We're threatened by resurrection because the resurrection was really real. It was physical. It wasn't just that the disciples had an eruption of epiphany in their heart. There was a dead Jesus and then there was an alive Jesus. And this is good news because our trouble isn't just that we don't have the right epiphanies in our heart. Our trouble is very real. The resurrection and the healing of God is as real as the death in our world. If Christian faith is only about our ghostly spirits content in a faraway heaven and a faraway future, then okay, maybe we can do okay with a ghostly Jesus. But if our faith tells us a far more scandalous story, that every place of death, every place of destruction, every act of violence, every act of abuse, 
every place of abandonment is going to be undone and healed through the brilliant life of Jesus Christ, then we need a resurrection. If the aches and the longings and the wounds of your heart are ever going to truly be healed, we need a Jesus powerful enough to heal them. And your aches and your wounds and your longings, they are not just uh, that you're not thinking well in your head. They're real. It's happened. Evil has been done. And in Jesus, evil will be undone. Over time, Jesus' astounded followers came to understand and proclaim that Jesus' resurrection was not merely that one man died and then came back to life, but that because of Jesus' triumph over death, all of God's promises, all of the ones that had been asserted by the prophets over centuries, all the ones that had been revealed in Jesus' own teaching, they were going to come true. Everything has changed. That is being threatened by the resurrection. But Mark leaves us with this story abruptly. The women fled the tomb for terror and amazement had seized them and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. And in your Bible, you'll see that there's, there may be a section after that that's in brackets. Most Bible scholars think that that part was added on later because all, all of the people working with the text thought there's no way it can, it can end that way. A great terror seized them, like an icy grip strangling them. Easter is immense hope, but there's terror here too. There's a little fear. The knees knock when you encounter the fact that everything we have ever understood is being turned upside down because Jesus came back to life. There was one... Uh, English theologian who talked about how ludicrous were the ideas about resurrection as just some kind of you know, internal awakening. He once was talking about this and he said in an exasperated way how so many theologies of the resurrection amount to nothing more than saying that at some point on Easter Sunday or soon after, something in Peter's mind finally went ping. But no one flees in terror and amazement from a, a bolt of illumination. No one flees in terror from how our inner heart glows with an abiding memory of a beloved teacher that we hope to emulate. No one flees in terror from a docile Jesus whose ongoing memory in the hearts of his followers reminds us that our best instincts are indeed correct. We should be kind to one another. But resurrection, when one who is God was dead at human hands, and then that same one who is God all of a sudden isn't dead anymore. And when he stands before you telling you that he holds the keys of death and hell and that he has conquered everything that needs to be conquered, well, that's a little terrifying. 
And if Jesus rose from the dead, there's a quake in our bones because it means that the world Jesus proclaimed, foolish as it seems, is actually true. It means the world that Jesus announced as the truth, the world that many of us think sounds rather ridiculous, it's actually true. It means the Beatitudes that we've been talking about all during Lent are actually possible. It means that those who don't have two pennies to rub together and those who know nothing but tears and those who've had all their power stripped away and those who burn for the justice that is denied over and again and those who, by our measure, foolishly extend mercy to the very ones who deserve no mercy at all and those who've abandoned everything for the love of Jesus and those who step into the crossfire to make peace with enemies who want to kill them it means that each of these persons, can you believe it, are actually blessed. It means the world's wickedness and violence can actually be extinguished in Jesus' cross and has been. I heard a writer say recently, and I think I believe him now, that it's ridiculous if not immoral, to teach our children to obey Jesus unless Jesus rose from the dead. If we teach our children to surrender their lives to God, if we teach them crazy things like turning the other cheek, if we teach them to be healers in a world that kills healers, that is absolute foolishness unless Jesus rose from the dead. There is a, a threat to resurrection, but it's a threat that emboldens if we'll let it. It's a threat that gives courage and hope because it is not just a story of something really powerful and dynamic and really, really cool that Jesus did a long time ago and so that we can sort of be content in our Christian culture and have a great story to tell and a wonderful Easter once a year. It is so much more than that. It is the announcement to the world that what God has promised will be true in the world has already been inaugurated in Jesus Christ and it is coming the world over. And so we, with yes, a little knocking in our knees, step into the world with the boldness of God to speak what is true, to live what is true, to surrender our life because everything has changed in the resurrection. Will you pray with me? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.